Man, listen, I know Kevin Hart hurting right now because he ain't in good with white folks. You know, he uh, had to step down, you know, from the Oscars because of some anti-gay tweets from like eight or ten years ago. So I know he hurting right now, man, because, you know, not under that white acceptance, but got a good idea on how, you know, he can get back in good with white folks. He can uh, do a 48 hours remake, you know, do a nice little buddy cop flick, you know, channel Eddie Murphy. You know, basically like his whole career. But um, speaking of 48 hours, man, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much how long it took, you know, for uh, white folks to get him out the spot, you know, get him out that Oscar spot. This is the thing I don't understand about Kevin Hart, though. Like the Kevin Hart that's, you know, out here on Twitter, you know, apologizing for hurting people and all this type of foolishness. This is not the same Kevin Hart that came on The Breakfast Club and basically bashed Cat Williams' head in. I'm going to let y'all listen to this clip, man. It's a little bit of cussing it, man, so keep that in mind. My frustration with Cat Williams comes from you keep pointing at Hollywood, Hollywood, this, the white man, this, this and this. When do you take responsibility for your actions? You had the shot. Cat was in that position. at one You point. were the guy. Yeah. You were set up to be the star. You didn't show up to work. You fucked off promo shoots. You fucked off your promo fucking uh, trips that they had set up for you. You became a risk to the studios, which is why the studios stopped fucking with you. Why was he a risk? He chose drugs. Oh, okay. Take responsibility for what you chose and say, you know what? I got to fix me and I'm going to come back and I'm going to stand up for comedy. Mm -hmm. So when you say Tiffany Haddish doesn't deserve or isn't really a comedian and these other women have worked hard, which they have. Mm -hmm. Shouts out to Melanie Cam Camacho. Shouts out to Lunell. Mm -hmm. Shouts out to Leslie Jones, who are all underneath the umbrella of Cat Williams. Cat Williams, have you ever used your platform to fucking bring the people that were under you up? Mm. You haven't. So because you haven't, don't shit on those that now are. I've used my platform and I've brought my guys and girls up. Mm -hmm. The brand of Kevin Hart is a brand that's expanded so fucking far. Whether you like me or not, my presence of comedy will forever be felt because mm. I'm a fucking boss. Mm. I sit on the top of it and the opportunities that I'm giving are the ones that I'm creating. Mm. So take responsibility for what you did. You fuck you. Nobody else did. Now, if you're familiar with this making a difference thing, you know it's one thing I don't do. I don't care for celebrities, man. Point blank, period. Did a podcast back in the day, man. Joint was called Black Politics are worth more than black celebrities. I stand by that to this day. To this day. <laughs> I mean, here's my issue with cats like Kevin Hart, Charlemagne, Stephen A. Smith. These brothers is like a good detergent. They tough on colors and they light on whites, man. We're definitely going to talk about that in the podcast. But beyond that, man, I want to talk about the disingenuousness of white outrage, man. Because people want to make this like it's an LGBT issue. And... Let's be clear. It's a white LGBT issue. But, man, people have had no problem with Kevin Hart for years. And now, all of a sudden, you know, you want to bring this stuff up? Mm-mm. Not going to happen. But it's amazing to me how, in a relatively short amount of time, fervent protests can get this man taken off a of stage. But it takes years and years and years, you know, to protest real issues in the black community. You know, police brutality, different things like that. Look, man, I got a lot of stuff to get off my chest, man. So we're going to go ahead and get this thing started. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth but not to make no joke. To make a difference. Making a difference is taped in front of absolutely no one. <laughs> uh, look, I can give you guys a disclaimer, man. Uh, we're here for information. Uh, and for in my case, sometimes it's about self-medication, man. Just got to get stuff off my chest, man. It's flu season. I ain't going to lie to you. Also, another disclaimer, man, as it relates to Kevin Hart. Um, straddling the fence will cause chafing. And uh, Kevin Hart's found that out all too well, man. <laughs> you listen to Making a Difference, man. Real rap. I'm Ken Making. So glad you guys are checking in with us uh, on this beautiful uh, cold wintry evening uh, in South Carolina. I watched this Kevin Hart thing and, you know, I, I saw the, the backlash and, you know, Kev was, was really talking tough at first. And 
I really didn't think he was going to step down. As a matter of fact, I thought what would happen is, is what usually happens, you know, in, in Trump's America, which is it doesn't matter which way you move the needle, you know, to the good or to the bad. You use the notoriety for your advantage. You use it to build your, you know, your brand or build your program. And then all of a sudden was on Twitter uh, late last night into the morning, almost at the stroke of midnight. You know, I saw uh, the Associated Press reporting that Kevin Hart said he was going to step down. And sure enough, you know, Kev said on Twitter after initially saying that he wasn't going to apologize and seemed like he had kind of gone back and forth between apologizing, said, I made the choice to step down from hosting this year's Oscars. This is because I do not want to be a distraction on a night that should be select uh, that should be celebrated by so many amazing, talented artists. I sincerely apologize to the LGBTQ community for my insensitive words from my past. I'm sorry that I hurt people. I'm evolving and want to continue to do so. My goal is to bring people together, not tear us apart. Much love and appreciation to the Academy. I hope we can meet again. Weak, pathetic, pitiful, sad. Uh, I think that pretty much encompasses it, uh, encompasses it. But again, I go back to the point of and, and just to be clear, uh, the name of this podcast, I always like to tell y'all uh, is when co- when color List comedy isn't enough. And that is, of course, in reference to Kevin Hart, because what I'm seeing in Kevin Hart is, is I'm seeing an individual who has shifted his brand in a relatively short time as it relates to entertainment. Uh, anybody. Well, I uh, was able to get a perspective from someone who actually I grew up with who was talking about the industry, um, the entertainment industry. And I said, you know, it really takes 10 years to basically to pay your dues. And, you know, you may see somebody pop up. And you think, well, oh, man, they were like an overnight success. And those stories like really don't happen, you know, in that in, uh, in that particular industry. So Kevin Hart did Soul Plane in 2004. And I think that was most of our introduction, you know, to him. I think, you know, as it relates to just black folk in the urban community, 2004 uh, Soul Plane and and in a little under, you know, 15 years. And particularly, you know, when Kev, because really Kev was on the scene five years, you know, before he started doing, you know, his own little comedy spots. I'm a grown little man, different things like that. And so, you know, we saw maybe I think 2012, 2013, where that star really started to rise. And now, you know, Kevin Hart has even transitioned from being someone who has a a huge urban following to someone who has this crossover appeal. But of course, you know, when you when you start to gain this crossover appeal, you know, you have to appeal to broader audiences, which ultimately means you're going to have this, you know, kind of whitewashed, bland comedy, which is what we're seeing with. Uh, Kevin Harden incidentally is linked up with a Dwayne Johnson, someone who also, you know, presents this um, or who who does comedy in this kind of this colorless way. Uh, the thing for Kevin Hart is, is that just wasn't enough. You know, it, you know, the same white liberals, the same white, you know, Hollywood liberals who said, OK, well, you know, we like this Kevin Hart guy. You know, we're going to put him in front, you know, of these, you know, these these you know, corny comedies, family friendly movies, uh, the same guy we're going to, you know, put on ESPN, the same guy who, you know, and I'm going to come back to the urban community in just a minute. But the same white liberals who said, OK, we like this Kevin Hart guy are the same white liberals who, you know, behind as it relates to LGBT, uh, LGBTQ said, OK, he's good, but he's not good enough for our show. And the thing about the Oscars is, is I don't this uh, again, the, 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 the phrase is white acceptance. And I don't understand why we put so much stock into the Oscars, why we put so much stock into something that culturally appropriates us, but doesn't appreciate us. And this, I mean, and really, this is I mean, that's that's really Hollywood to a T. But going back to the urban community, because I want to look at kind of this dichotomy between Kevin Hart and Cat Williams. And my contention is that that dichotomy was really used to promote this night school movie. And the thing that I despise is when, you know, you have someone like Cat Williams, who is while he's Hollywood, he's almost anti-establishment to the point where you can take a Kevin Hart and you can basically have them as opposing forces. So, you know, Cat, y'all remember Cat Williams was on the on the radio show and, you know, he was getting on Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish and, you know, basically just put him out self out there kind of as a almost a sacrificial lamb you know, to kind of get his name out there, kind of a little 15 minute, 10 minute of fame type deal. And then, of course, you know, Kevin and Tiffany got on the breakfast club. And that's where I got that diatribe from Kevin from. 
But those type of diatribes concern me because, you know, they're I, I know I use the term respectability politics a lot, but I always try to use it contextually. And I always try to because I, what I want people to understand is, is there you have these, you know, we, people can say, you know, well, you know, it's, it's a black show. You know, it's got, you know, um, black host. You know, you think about if you think about black media in this country right now and you talk about the shortlist of black media. And to be clear, it's not that it's necessarily about news. It's more or less about entertainment. Charlemagne and Stephen A. Smith are on a very short list uh, when you talk about black media. But here's my thing about those two particular individuals. They are they're problematic and they kind they have this thing where I mean, they're they're always taught they're to me. They're towing the line as it relates to, okay, you know, we're going to come down hard on, you know, black folks who may be controversial or black celebrities who may be controversial, but they don't have that same energy for white folks. And that's something that really concerns me. And the reason they don't have that energy is very simple. It's because, hey, white folks are signing the checks. And this is why it's so important for us as a community, for us as a, as black people to separate black politics from black celebrities. When we allow celebrities to dictate culture, when we allow celebrities in some ways to dictate policy, we're losing because there's the ugly truth about the Kevin Hart situation and, and Kevin Hart being kicked off the Oscars. Kevin Hart being kicked off the Oscars is something that, I mean, really doesn't affect us one way or the other. I know it doesn't affect me. I'm so far outside of the reaches of celebrity, but I'm look, I mean, <laughs> it's like Fonte said, um, Fonte of little brother, uh, fame was saying about the listening, you know, shoot, man, we, you know, basically just the, to paraphrase, man, people ain't re even really listening, man. I look, I'm like, Hey, if I get 5,000 people to listen to this podcast, if I get 10,000 people to listen to this podcast, I mean, I'm overjoyed, man. So I'm, I'm so far outside of the reaches of celebrity, but at the same time, I understand the power of celebrity as it relates to the black community. I understand that when you say a name like Kevin Hart, that people, people, you know, people eyes going to look up and say, Hey, what's going on? Or when you say a name like a Charlemagne or a Stephen A. Smith. And so as a result of that, what these individuals say is important and somebody's got to hold them accountable, you know, for the things that they say and for the things that they do and the things that they don't do. And that's why I'm here right now. But yeah, I back to the original point, like Kevin Hart getting kicked off the Oscars, like really doesn't affect black people. Like on the whole, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, we could, you know, have a conversation about, you know, voter suppression and good God, what's going on in the Southeast. But that, that truly is another podcast for another day, which, you know, I will get to, I, I look at the, situ the situations like, in particular, as it relates to Kevin Hart. And, you know, I, I want to use them to just, like I said, highlight the importance of black politics, but also about the importance of being bold and speaking out against whiteness, not always saying, not always, you know, cowering and, you know, wanting to be in, you know, in, in white people's good graces. But when you see things that are inherently wrong, speaking out and making people be accountable for them. And that's where I get into the disingenuous, uh, disingenuousness of white outrage, because make no mistake about it. Man, these tweets been out here for years. Kevin Hart been making these types of types of jokes for years. And not only Kevin Hart, like these jokes are, I mean, I won't go so far as to say a staple of uh of black comedy, of black comedians, but I mean you can you're gonna get there's gonna be anti-gay rhetoric. There's gonna be, you know, spanking kids uh, rhetoric, a lot of problematic stuff that's in politics. So why is it a problem now? And this is where, to me, it, it goes deeper than, you know, LGBT concerns. And this is my concern, you know, for, you know, African-Americans who are gay, who are lesbian, who do fall into that category, who, you know, want to bash Kevin Hart. I say be very careful because and the reason why I say that is not because I don't believe in, you know, equal rights for all. I definitely believe in that. And I definitely believe that, you know, as it, you know, morality at, at this point, I think when you talk about morality and morality in the media, it's an issue of perspective. It's not always about, you know, what's being said at, I'll put it this way. The media is bigger than what's being said at your church. And the truth is, is that you got people in your family that you just, to me, you do a, not only a civic, uh, you know, uh, disservice, but to me, you do a familial disservice when you kick somebody out of your family because of their sexual preference. But what we do have to understand as black people uh, in this present age and understanding and, and in this particular situation is that the white uh, gay and lesbian movement 
and the black gay and lesbian movement are not created equal. And so I say this all the time and black as it relates to even, I mean, black women and white women like these type of movements, like don't let these white folks fool you with these movements, man. Like they're, they, they want to act like it's all inclusive and it's not. But I think for those of you all who, I mean, if you look at me too, if you look at, you know, LGBTQ, I think if you talk to some of these folks who are actually, you know, dealing with some of the, the taboo aspects of this, who are dealing with some of the challenges, you know, when you talk about these certain things, they'll be pretty, they'll be open and honest with you. And they'll tell you, yeah, um, you know, these, these white folks out here putting on the show for the media, but when it gets down to the actual work of it, what happens? Black folks can, are continually left on the outside. It's a very frustrating thing. So you may be asking yourself at this juncture, well, Ken, what's the um, what's the solution? The solution is simple. The solution has been what it's always been. It's just about enforcing, you know, enforcing, enforcing ideals and making them real and not just talking about like just not just saying things as buzzwords. The word here is accountability. When folks like Kevin Hart and their ilk say, you know, say things that, you know, can be problematic, address them in the moment. You know, when you talk about spanking kids, address that in the moment. When you talk about, you know, like anti-gay stuff, you know, address that in the moment. I'm going to tell you what media and Hollywood does, and then we're going to go uh, to break. But here's what Hollywood does. Hollywood will take a moment that can be used as a teaching tool in the present. And they will rather like tuck it off to the side and hold it and keep score until they feel like a certain person, usually black, reaches a point of prominence that they don't want them to reach. And all of a sudden it's like, ha ha, remember that thing you did five years ago or that thing you did 10 years ago? And then they will use that instead of using it as a teaching tool that can better society, that can, you know, really uh, teach and inform people about what's really going on out here. They were, they would rather use that to indict an individual for some unknown or some hidden agenda. And so what happens as a result is that, you know, <laughs> it's really hard to understand what's free. Listening to making a difference. You know what free is, nigga? What's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Told my niggas I need you. Through all the fame, you know I stay true. Pray my niggas stay free. Made a few mistakes, but this ain't where I wanna be. Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet. Told my niggas I need you. Stay up, I know these times ain't true. Real life was free. Since the lad I was cunning, just got a pad out in London. I keep stacking my money, I need a ladder by summer. 8K shots, niggas ducking straight shots. Been a top dog, that's before the Kate dots. Cracking in 06, immaculate showmanship. Talking like you Mitch, disastrous on the strip Holding on your bitch, coulda never sold you a brick With them people, you never been on the list Mona Lisa to me ain't nothing but a bitch Hanging pictures like niggas swinging from his dick We so different, you thought these didn't exist The Megalodon never seen on his wrist I'm from the south where they never make it this rich God is the greatest, but Satan been on his shit Walking the pavement, I pray I'm illuminated over a decade and never nobody's favorite Pot and kilo go hand in hand like we gambling huff My amigo a million grams when we count them and up You was dead broke, I let you hold it back You paid for it, but I fuck around and stole the track Screaming gang gang, now you wanna rap Racketeering charges, caught them on the tap Looking for a bond, lawyers wanna tax Purple hair, got them faggots on your back What's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Told my niggas I need you. Through all the fame, you know I stay true. Pray my niggas stay free. Made a few mistakes, but this ain't where I wanna be. Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet. Told my niggas I need you. Stay up, I know these times ain't true. Real life, yeah. what's free? Fed investigations, heard they plying like I trap. 20 million cash, they know I got that off a rap. Maybe it's the Michael Rubens or the Robert Krafts Or the billionaire from Marcy and the way they got my back uh, See how I prevailed and now they try to knock me back uh, Lock me in the cell for all them nights and I won't snap uh, 250 a show and they still think I'm selling crack uh, When you bring my name up to the judge, you tell them facts Tell them how we funding all these kids to go to college Tell them how we ceasing all these wars stopping violence Trying to fix the system in the way that they designed it I think they want me 
like I'm free. Locked down in my cell, shackled from ankle to feet. Judge banging that gavel, turned me to slave from a king. Another day in the bing. I gotta hang from a string, just for popping a willy. My people march to the city, from a cell to a chopper. View from the top of the city, you can tell how we rockin'. Soon as I pop up, we litty poppin' like Bad Boy in '94. Big poppin' and Diddy and niggas countin' me out. Like my account ain't busy. That's five million twenty. Sit up and count to I'm dizzy. Fainin' five hundred thousand, hundred round in a stizzy. Is we beefin' and rappin'? I might just pop up with Drizzy. Like what's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Told my niggas I need you. Through all the fame, you know I stay true. Pray my niggas stay free. Made a few mistakes, but this ain't where I wanna be. Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet. Told my niggas I need you. Stay up, I know these times ain't true. Real life was free. In the land of the free, where the blacks enslave. Three fifths of a man, I believe's the phrase. I'm 50% of Duce and it's dead free, yeah. 100% of Ace of Spade, worth half a beat. Uh. Rock Nation, half of that, that's my piece. 100% of title to bust it up with my cheese. Uh. Smokes, my niggas won't ever work together. You run a checker, but they never give you leverage. No red hat, don't Michael and Prince me and yay. They separate you when you got Michael and Prince's DNA. Uh. I ain't one of these house niggas you bought. My house like a resort. My house bigger than yours, my spot. Come on, man. My route better, of course. We started without food in our mouth. They gave us pork and pig intestines. Shit you discarded that we ingested. We made the project a wave. You came back, reinvested and gentrified it. Took niggas sense of pride. Now how that's free? And them people stole the soul and hit niggas with 360s. I ain't got a billion streams, got a billion dollars. Inflating numbers like we po' be happy about this. We was praising Billboard, but we were young. Now I look at Billboard like, is you dumb? To this day, grandma afraid what I might say They gonna have to kill me, grandmama, I'm not their slave <laughs> Check out the bazaar, rapping style used by me The HOV, look at my hair free, carefree Niggas ain't there free, enjoy your chains What's your employer name with the hairpiece? I survived a hood, can't no shaitan rob me My account's so good, I'm practically living tax-free Factory, that's me, sold drugs, got away, scot-free That's a C-C-E, copy, kill free, steal me And expect me to not feel away To this day, you would say, y'all kill me Sucker free, no shucking me I don't jive turkey, say happy Thanksgiving Shit sound like a murder to me Smoke free, all of y'all, calling out toll free Label rob you for millions, yet you wanna put a hole in me Sugar free, season but I'm so free, you lay a hand on hold my shoe to shoot for free I promise World War III Send an order through a hands free Kill you in 24 hours or shorter you can't ignore the hand speed On guard it's off the head, this improv but it's no comedy Sign I fail, hell nah <laughs>
um, with, you know, this culture of going back and looking at old people's tweets is it's less about, as I was saying before the break, you know, it's, it's less about using stuff as a teaching tool and it's more of a vindictiveness, but also what it represents. It, it does two things from, from my mind. I think it is quite simple. I think it's lazy journalism. I think it's it's lazy media in terms of something like does it like does going back and pulling somebody's tweets from seven or eight years ago. Is it really informative? But I think even deeper than that, what it does is I think that these type of conversations, when you go back and you and you look at people's tweets from seven or eight years ago, I think it discourages the spirit of the desired goal. If we're pulling someone's tweets with the understanding that they made some controversial comments, to me, the end goal should be to show society that this type of activity or these type of comments aren't acceptable. But I'm starting to see that that we're really getting past that. And I, and, and I think we're getting past that because, number one, we don't hold everyone accountable for their homophobia. We hold certain um, people accountable for it. And that's the first thing. But I think even beyond that, I think we focus on celebrity missteps to the point of desensitization. And I think that's the very real reason why we never see any like cultural change. It's how you can have movements like Me Too. It's how you can address homophobic tweets and you can have this like nationwide backlash or this like extreme media backlash but at the end of the day like nothing gets solved it is it hits really close to me because and you know if i use the term dollar paper i'm pretty sure you all know what i mean uh it's like your maybe lo- your local jail report or something like that and these type of papers like i they're informational pieces but they're so right right leaning and and conservative and i mean it's it's consistent with police culture but I flip through them from time to time because, you know, local, you hear about you hear about a lot of things locally and so on and so forth. So I picked up the dollar paper and I was seeing in my local dollar paper where there was an incident where there was a young man who was killed, who was a crossdresser. And I actually picked up the paper around the same time, you know, I was hearing about Kevin Hart and, you know, in, in, in those tweets and it really hit home for me that as much as, you know, we talk about, you know, homophobia and gay rights and different things like that, it you, it doesn't have the type of effect at home. And I'm, and I'm, and this may be the case in you all's localities as well, but, and it, and it, and it may just be an issue of, again, because I am making the distinction between, you know, gay rights as it you know relates to white liberals versus black gays and black lesbians i think that that distinction is important that distinction certainly you know comes into play in this particular situation but my concern is is that for all of these issues that we're bringing up me too you know we're, we're we're talking about you know we're more open about rape and we're having these discussions but who are they helping like i don't see the the widespread you know the the paradigm shift if you will as we're having these conversations and i and i think it it's it's disheartening um and i think it just it it desensitizes greater society and 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 a lot of this has to do i think with just the media just focusing on the sensational part of the stuff instead of the kind of getting to the bare bones of you know of 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 why these things are happening in our society and why the fail safes in society aren't doing more to you know to rectify some of these situations with that in mind, I do want to correlate and talk about the effectiveness of this particular protest. And I'm just uh, I'm, I'm going back and I'm looking at just the stuff that Kevin Hart is saying. And Kevin Hart is, is such a clown. That's not a compliment because as soon as, you know, of course, Kevin Hart, you know, apologized on Twitter for what he said. But then he, of course, wanted to use the MLK quote, the quote about, you know, um, about where a man stands and, you know, in challenge and controversy. And it's just. If you look at the totality of, of Kevin Hart and his commentary, not only his social commentary, but his comedic comment. Well, we'll just call it his social commentary, just kind of all encompassing. What you get uh, is an individual who, I mean, really says some trash stuff. 
I mean, someone who, you know, has had disparaging things to say about black women in the past. I mean, has had disparaging things, obviously, to say about gay people and individuals like this. It's amazing how they're able to, you know, work their way up the corporate ladder, if you will. And a lot of the their ability to work their way up this ladder comes at the expense of black folks. It's, you know, say things like, you know, black women have bad credit or, or excuse me, dark skin. Black women have bad credit, light skin. Black women have have better credit. Just, you know, just crazy stuff like this, man. And then, you know, you want to say all these things you want to, you know, go in on Cat Williams for whatever reason. And you just kind of take this. You, you present yourself as this like this like moral authority in certain issues. But then you, you come back and it's just like all of this clown commentary, man. It's it's foolishness. I mean, it, it really is. So but I because, of course, when you compare the effectiveness of the gay rights lobby or the white gay rights lobby and as and as it compares to, you know, black politics and black protests, I mean, it's no pun intended. It's really night and day. And of course, and I, I do want to say before I kind of get into this whole the LGTB piece of it, that a lot of the reason why black protest is ineffective is because you have to look at who in, in the black community who has the strongest or I won't even say so much the strongest voice, but the most recognized voices, athletes and entertainers. This is why there's such a backlash when you have individuals like Colin Kaepernick who step up and speak against or, or speak with social awareness. And this is why you get a backlash from someone like a, you know, when a LeBron James will step up and say certain things because the establishment understands that when these people speak like society on the whole listens. So that's why you get that backlash. But I, I think about um, LGBT, um, like I said, white from the white liberal perspective and the first and most important reason why they're protest or their angst whether it's justified or no whether it's authentic or no the reason why it's so effective is because if you look at the hollywood machine if you look at the media machine a lot of those individuals are a part of that if you look at hollywood and i mean some of the folks who have become prominent in hollywood a lot of those individuals or i want to i'll say a significant portion of those individuals do fall into that um the LGBT window. So you have this profound media influence and that influence is used very powerfully. It's used very effectively. And so when you're talking about the Hollywood machine, you're talking about money. And so again, the disparity of white protests and black protests, you can't trivialize the fact that there's a lot more money behind white protests than there is for black protests. And, and I think that's an important part of the discussion to have. I think black folk are quick to say, well, we, we don't work together and they dismiss it just like that. But I mean, lest we, for, or, yeah, lest we forget that money is a, is a unifying force. And when you don't have money, not having money is very divisive. It can be a very divisive phenomenon. And I think that's what you see a lot of times with black protests. So the LGBT, the white lobby is effective because they do have the power of the media. And when you have the power of the media and you have the power of words, like the power of words is so important. And at some point I really got to sit down. And do a podcast, man, talking about just the power of words and, and buzzwords and, you know, in media and in politics, how certain words have been co-opted and how certain words, you know, mean certain things. You know, when you say things like liberal, radical, conservative and, and, and all of what that means, I really think we at some point we got to have that conversation. But when I look at the effectiveness of the gay lobby, the gay protests. When you're able to co-opt and use words like love, like pride, and you're able to centralize those those ideas with like a rainbow or different things like that. And you can use those not only 
as marketing tools, but as tools of propaganda, as tools of getting your message across. That's a very powerful lobby. Here's one of the the biggest challenges facing black protests is the fact that the word black in and of itself in this society, it has a negative connotation. It denotes an anger. It denotes for some, for for a significant portion of Americans. It not only denotes an anger, it denotes a second class citizenship. It denotes so many negative things that are that are unfairly associated with being black. So when you have a black protest, you spend so much time differentiating and explaining to people, hey, we're not angry. We're not this. We're not that. And by the time you get to the actual protest, like the context of your message has been lost. I see this so many times in black protests. I've had to deal with this personally with my own protest. And I'll go ahead and share a story with you guys real quick. So you all know I've been fighting this this thing with the monument in North Augusta. Man, listen, been fighting this thing for a year and some change. Now, had an opportunity because the story kind of, you know, uh, new life kind of came into the story because the mayor of North Augusta made some recommendations about, you know, the um, the monument. We'll get look. I'll do I'll do a whole podcast on it, man, because. You know, I got to really tell you all what happened from my perspective and I really got to, you know, lay that thing out. But I'll just kind of keep it short and sweet um, for this particular podcast. Long story short, man, heard from CNN called me the Associated Press. I kid you not. They called you folk, man. And so what ended up happening was and and there's so many like nuances and there's so many like details in media that's so important. If you all and I'll just and I'm because I'm like this, man, I'm a, I'm a dude that's about information and I, I always want my people to be prepared, man. I'm not going to ever if I can help. I'm never have you in the dark. If you listen to this podcast and you ever find yourself in a situation where you have to do an interview for someone and you have the option of, you know, maybe talking to somebody over the phone. Or you're in a situation where you maybe you're able to I'll, I'll just say it like this. Always put yourself in a situation when you're answering questions for the media where you're able your your complete thoughts are able to be recorded. So, you know, if somebody's able to get you on a video camera, of course, all of your now they may chop chop up what you say, but contextually, the integrity of what you say is there. If you're on the you know, if somebody calls you, say, well, I want to talk to you and they're trying to maybe trying to rush and, and do like a story on deadline. Mm, nah, send me the questions by my by email or text or whatever. And I will answer those for you promptly, but completely. The experience I had with the Associated Press and with CNN was that I was answering these questions for, for these folks. And, you know, they were working on deadline. They were trying to get stuff done. And that wasn't the only problem. The other problem was, is that I don't feel like those particular outlets cared so much about what I had to say as if they wanted me to validate the indecisiveness of this white mayor who. And if and just to give you guys some background, basically, there's this monument in North Augusta that literally has on it talks about Anglo-Saxon supremacy, white supremacy. It actually has it on the monument. So. About a year ago, I spoke about it and I said, well, man, y'all need to take this thing down. So the mayor came back and was like, well, you know, there's a state legislation that protects it. So we can't take it down, but we're going to use it as an ed- educational experience. We're going to honor the, you know, the um, the monument is, is a post-Civil War monument that was built in the aftermath of the Hamburg massacre. So they were saying, well, we're going to honor the black victims. And I'm just like, but bruh, that's that's not the point. The point is, you still got a monument up here that um, that celebrates white supremacy, that that honors that literally honors white supremacy. You got to take it down. And so I was trying to, you know, convey this story. And a lot of my protest was lost in the fact that the media, the white media wanted to lionize this white mayor for taking, you know, a, a milk toast, weak sauce stand on white supremacy and by using the illusion of unity, this, this disgusting stuff. 
But this happens all the time with black protests. And this is why protest has to be so divisive. And I do want to make some key points that as as I, you know, as, as we do, you know, compare and contrast the you know, the, the lobby that we saw that that basically forced Kevin Hart to step down versus black protests. And I, I do want to say some things very quickly. The decisiveness and the fervor of the backlash against Kevin Hart cannot be overstated. Because it's that decisiveness and that that urgency and that fervor that puts so much pressure on Kevin Hart. Because you got to think this is a guy who in the past said, you know what, I'm not apologizing for this. I've already apologized for it in the past. And if Kevin Hart was going to be consistent with this kind of tough guy um, persona that he projects, you know, when he's doing his comedy and it's like kind of this unrepentant comedy and it is what it is type of deal. If he was going to be that guy, then he should have been that guy in this situation, especially since he's previously apologized for this stuff. But he wasn't he didn't do that. And again, the reason why he didn't do that is not only because, like I said, white folks (laughs) write his checks, but. The backlash was so severe and so divisive or not divisive was so decisive, excuse me. But not only was it decisive, it was centralized. And that's another important lesson for black protests, because here's what even with the even within the parameters of the Kevin Hart debate. And I said this earlier in the podcast. Black protests, we have to be very mindful because what we'll do is, is that we and this is where I just I love us, man. But we also this is where there are certain things that are to our disadvantage. We latch on to protests kind of in this whole, this, this overwhelming desire to want to see everybody be free. So we'll latch on to a multicultural protest, if you will. The problem with that is, is we've seen it time and time again in American history, not only recent history, but I mean, really just through decades, decades and centuries of American history is that we may engage in multicultural protests, but more often than not, those those other cultures and other races and other nationalities don't have that same energy when it comes to black pain and black struggle. And so we're left on the island holding the bag when it comes to issues like police brutality, when it comes to wealth disparities, environmental racism. You all know the list goes on and on. I, and, I, and as I think about police brutality, I'm thinking about the situation. Black, uh, black Friday just happened. And there was a young man in the mall in Alabama. And the New York Times, I actually posted it on the uh, on my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N, a different show about the young man who, I mean, the, the autopsy came out and they shot this kid in the back of the head or in the back three times. And I made the comment on that particular post. I said, until police officers are tried or convicted of first degree murder. Until there is a not not, you know, talking about these buzzwords like unity and togetherness until there is true accountability for these type of incidents. Like you're always going to have this stuff. And so as a black man, I mean, and not just a black man, but let's be very specific about this, because these type of things are happening to black security, you know, officers. These things are happening to black people who are licensed gun owners. So the whole the whole respectability politics bit just really goes out of the window now. Like it's an issue. It's an issue of survival. And it's an issue of survival within the parameters of understanding that this is why black politics um, is so important. Because we're because things are being things are being lost. Lives are being lost. And we spend so much time, you know, in the protests and trying to explain whether we have the right to be first class citizens, it's, it's, it's tiring, it's frustrating, and it really, it just, it's, it slows progress and protest down to a crawl. And black folk, we can't afford it. I mean, we're, we're, we're in very perilous times now. I mean, we're seeing different things that are happening and I feel like so many things happen. And I think we just kind of see it as a part of a, um, we see this more of just a part of a media cycle. If it doesn't hit our, sometimes this stuff can happen. I think we're getting to the point now where things are happening in our own backyards and we're so desensitized to this stuff because it's happening with so much frequency. And I know some of that is fear. 
I know some of that is hopelessness and helplessness. Um, I, I know that some of it's become an apathy, but we cannot get to the point where we stop fighting. And here's the, the final the final piece of that protest. Some of what we ha- we have to do now has to be proactive. Like so much of what we do is reactive. That was my that's my very real frustration with some of the political campaigns that I've seen. Stacey Abrams is a hers is a campaign that immediately comes to mind because if you all are still keeping up and following Stacey Abrams, she's pushing and proposing this Fair Fight Georgia initiative that's basically fighting for voter rights. And Lord knows we need to fight for fight for voter rights because the suppression that's going on in the southeast in terms of voting rights is I mean it's it's unbelievable what's going on. I mean it's 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 worse than it's it's comparable to the 60s say for i mean just the you know the the lives that are being lost but in terms of the the efforts to suppress the vote i mean it's just i mean it's it's going back like decades but i'm saying that because to me the fight for the state of georgia the fight for voting rights should have began as soon as Brian Kemp said, I'm going to run for governor because dude, you're the secretary of state. Like you're literally like, and I Democrats who whoever you want to blame allowed this charade to happen. As soon as he announced there should have been some lawyers that should have said, okay, well, dude, you gotta make a decision. You can either run for governor or you can be the secretary of state, but what you can't do is be both. And that never happened. Like that conversation happened. What? Election day for some people, like maybe two weeks before, you know, for some people, it happened when the voter there was the incident of voter suppression in Randolph County, Georgia, where they basically I think they tried to close like five of the seven precincts in like this mostly black district. Like the fight started for some people then, but I just. So much of and I and I think this is one of the big issues of Democrats. I, I don't, I feel like they don't know how to fight. And meanwhile, you got tea party Republicans and it's just, it's so funny when we think about like, again, buzzwords and the buzzword of like radical and like one of the greatest, just radical and exceptional minds ever was Malcolm X. But I think about something that if you, if you thought of, if we, if we think of a singular phrase to define Malcolm X, that phrase is by any means necessary. And for as much as, you know, conservatives and people of their ilk, I would imagine would be disparaging about Malcolm X. Like they really take that by any means necessary bit to heart. Like they are rigging up these elections, like they are doing everything they can do to gerrymander. Um, if you look at what's going on in North Carolina, Jesus. I mean, they had people taking up absentee ballots and just dumping them. But these are the type of just, you know, war warfare tactics that Republicans are using and Democrats are just they are not keeping up. They're they're trying to use diplomacy in a, in a world of savagery, and it simply does not work. You got to go toe to toe with these folks. You got to be willing to dig in. And that's where we are now. And that's definitely what we need as it relates to black politics. We got to be willing to dig in. We got to be willing to fight and we got to understand even within the parameters and, and conversations in terms of black celebrities. I, I, I hate that black celebrities have so much clout and that they don't use that clout to advance black politics. But I'm always grateful for the opportunity, whether they succeed or whether they fail. I'm talking about black celebrities to use what they do, to use their stories, to use what happens with them as a means of explaining to people about the power of black politics and why more than ever, we really need to look at our politics, assess our politics and strengthen them, you know, in a way, in a way that makes our lives better, that makes our quality, that makes the quality of life better for ourselves as individuals, but also makes the quality of life better in our communities. And I think that's a good stopping point uh, for making a difference today. Just want to encourage you guys, as always, SoundCloud.com backslash making a difference. Um, look, follow it post haste expeditiously today. 
I know y'all on Facebook all the time. Facebook.com backslash making a different show is the page. Maybe you're on Twitter more than you're on Facebook. I'm on Twitter too. Twitter. Um, the handle at Twitter is difference making M A K I N. Also, I've been reaching out in terms of a uh, financial support for the making a different show. Got a Patreon. I'm working on that now. Uh, very excited about that. The Patreon. I'm taking care of some fi- some finalizing some details with it, but the um the handle is going to be making a different show. M A K I N a different show. And also, that's the uh, the Cash App handle, dollar sign, making a different show. If you want to donate um, to the Making a Different Show, again, this is about Black media, man. And I could tell you what my passion is. Look, I'm a guy who I'll tell you right now. I'm a guy who's worked in journalism uh, and in my community um, and abroad for the better part of 15 years. I transitioned to a manufacturing career for the same reason that some of y'all work the jobs that y'all hate. Hey, man, we got to make a living somehow. But, man, I can tell you what's my heart, what's my passion, man. And that's media and that's informing the community. And I understand, especially among African-Americans in the among the black community, how important it is, man, to not only inform people, but to tell our stories, making a difference who wants to do that. But we cannot do that without your financial support, man. So I hope you find it in your heart, man, to um to want to give to uh to making a difference. Also want to tell you if you got ideas for the show, man, send them over. Making a difference show at gmail.com. That's M-A-K-I-N A Different Show at gmail.com. Send them over. I love show suggestions, man. That lets me know that you guys are listening to the show and that you this is a and, and that lets me know that you're a part of the process, man. I tell people all the time this is not a monologue. This is a dialogue. So take part in the dialogue, man. And with that said, I'm Ken Macon. And I love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.